2,000 some odd years ago, Jesus Christ prayed for you. He prayed for you and for me. Let's look at this. John 17, 13 through 21, this whole chapter, Christ is praying for various things. And in this section, the the title of this section, if you want to, is the disciples in the world. And he does start out initially by praying for the disciples, the 12 that are following him. But as we get there, I want you to pay attention to verse 20 when we get there, because that's the verse that really puts it into perspective for us. Verses 13 through 21, John 17, it reads, But now I come to you, and these things I speak of the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Again, the you that he's talking about is God. He's praying to God. So when he says you in this passage, he's talking about God, okay? Verse 14, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Here it is, verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also, who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, in me, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. We're not going to talk much about verse 21 today, because we could spend a whole series of sermons on the deep theological truths and such that is in verse 21. But I want to point out two things real quick in there. Um, The first is, if you ever hear somebody say, well, Jesus wasn't quite God, that they also may be in us. And I I don't know if I capitalized it there, but in my Bible, the you in us is capitalized. They are God. They are the same. He's talking about that. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, I just want to point it out, is that the whole point of this is so that we can be unified. Christians should be unified just as God the Father and God the Son are unified. We're not supposed to be these, like, like obviously we all have our separate personalities and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that. But we are supposed to be together, brothers and sisters in Christ. That means whether you're Baptist or Presbyterian or, or, or Methodist or anything, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you should be unified with other people that have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And again, like I said, we could spend weeks talking about that. We're not going to. We will at some point probably, but not today. I just wanted to point those two things out in that verse before we jump into the crux of this message. So number one, number one here, the world will hate us. The world will hate us. He says it there in verse 14. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. There are so many times when I, I, I it, it frustrates me to be frank. It frustrates me. You know, I'm on, I'm on social media. I, I'm on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram and I have all that. And I go down to a Christian, it's a Christian college. I don't mean to put that in quotes because it's not Christian, but there are non-Christians on that campus because there's non-Christians everywhere, right? And I go and I see a Christian culture that does one of two things. One, they seem to get really offended when this world we live in hates them. It says we're going to be hated. Christ was hated. 
despised, killed by his own people. The world's going to hate us. Or two, they try to make the world not hate us by compromising on certain truths, by giving up certain beliefs to say it's not that big a deal. And right, remember we talked last week about not dying on hills, certain hills. And, and I agree that you shouldn't die on certain hills. I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not taking that statement away. But I mentioned it last week. You need to die on the hill that sin is sin. And it doesn't matter what culture says about that sin. It is still sin. I've talked to people and they go, well, it's not really a sin if you're, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, we're going to get a little heavy. It's not a sin if you're transgender. It is, and let me tell you why it is. Because God made you a man, or a woman, right? And you said, no, I'm the opposite. Which means you said, no, God, you made a mistake because I wasn't supposed to be that way. I'm here to tell you, folks, God doesn't make mistakes. He's never made one. He never will make one. There has never been an oops moment in God's life, if you can call it that, since he's eternal. Culture says certain things that aren't sin, that our sins aren't. And we as Christians like to go, well, okay, fine. Let me tell you an atrocious sin that the world says is not. Millions of babies are killed, sometimes out of the womb. And the world says that's not a sin. It's a horrible sin. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't forgive because he sure does. But the world's going to look at you and say things aren't sins that are And we often try to make the world like us by compromising on our beliefs. Christ never compromised. Never. Not once. Because he knew what truth was. Now he spoke truth in love, but he knew what truth was, and he didn't compromise. And the world hated him for it. So the world hates us because of our citizenship, but it also hates us because of the word. He says it right there. Because they are not of the world, that's the citizenship, even as I am not of the world. And in the very beginning, I have given them your world and the wor- your word, and the world has hated them. The world hates this thing because it doesn't want to be told they're wrong. It doesn't want to put, the Bible doesn't leave room for you to blame somebody else. You got to blame yourself. The Bible doesn't leave you room to go, well, no, it's not really my fault. No, it's your fault. And the world doesn't like that. The world doesn't like to be told that they are responsible for their actions. The world's going to hate you. You're going to get attacked. Get over it. You live in a world in a, in, a, in a world that's evil, but you live in a country that still to this point allows you to live out your faith. I'm not saying there won't come a time when it doesn't allow it, but as of this point right now, you don't have to worry about a fascist regime coming in and shooting us all up right now because we're praising God this morning. You don't have to worry about that. But the world's going to hate you, and it's an okay thing. I talked about it uh, uh, this morning uh, during the announcements. It's not just this physical world that hates us. It's half the spiritual world that hates us too. Less than that, a third. Because it's a third of the angels that fell. So a third of the spiritual world hates you too. And they're going to do everything in their power to stop you. And if you don't think they don't know this better than you, you're fooling yourself. If you don't think they know God better than you do, you're fooling yourself. They were with him. They lived with him. For how long, we don't know. It doesn't exactly say when angels were created. We know they were, but we don't have a timeline necessarily. So the world's going to hate us. And Christ acknowledges that, acknowledges that, that, that word, in his prayer, but then he continues on. Because you may think to yourself, well, if the world hates us, are we even supposed to be here? Yes. Number two, 
We are supposed to be here. Verses 15 and 16. I want to read verse 15 here. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. You and I are God's hands and feet. We're his body, his physical body on this earth right now. I'm not saying we're Christ. Don't, don't misunderstand me here. But we are the ones who do this right now. You're here for a purpose. If you woke up this morning, God has a purpose for your life. And it's not to take you away from here yet. There'll come a day, but it's not yet. But it's that second part that really should give us hope. But to keep them from the evil one. Church, I want to tell you this morning, don't pray that God takes you away situation. Pray that he protects you in that situation. You only grow through stress. This world, you know, they always tell you to de-stress. My dad tells me to de-stress all the time. It's like, you need to de-stress. And I do. No, dad, I'm so stressed out. I'm going to start using that word. No, we're not talking about, it's not that type of stress. It's not the stress over, over certain things. But it's, you, you, you need situations to grow. And then two, you have hope. You have faith. You have Christ in you. Most of this world does not. And the Bible tells me that God is willing that none should perish, meaning that everybody goes to heaven. Now, not everybody will, but he wants as many of them to be there as they can be, and so should you. Now, here's the thing. I want to point something out. I had a friend in college. I will not use his name at all because I'll end up slipping up and using his real name. I had a friend in college who one day we were talking. He was in my dorm room, and we were talking about, you know, what do we think God has for us in the future? Where, does, where, where do we think God is, is leading us? And I was all like, yeah, I'm going to be a pastor got it. And I said, what do you think? Where, where do you think God wants you to be? And he goes, you know, I just have a heart for the, the women that are caught up in, in a sex slave trade or in prostitution. And then he said, yeah, so I'm going to go into strips clubs and, 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 and preach the gospel to these women. And I said, and you're an idiot. Being, not being taken out of this world does not mean that you willingly dive headfirst into mud and muck. You're going to come out dirty. Now, thankfully, God has a hose, and he's willing to blast you off with it, but sometimes it's more like a fire hose, and it hurts to get that mud kicked off of you. But that's not what that means. It does mean you're willing to stick your hands in, because to preach the gospel to women that are caught in that means you will get your hands dirty. But preaching the gospel to somebody who lives a, quote, good life but doesn't know God means you're going to get your hands dirty just the same. There's a difference between sticking your hands into the mud and the muck and God using you to pull somebody out and you going, don't worry, God, I got this, and diving in. There's a big difference in that. So that's not what God's telling you to do here. That's not what Christ is praying about. But he is praying that you will use the talents, the gifts, your life that God has given you to do that and that you would be protected from Satan. He is going to try to stop you. One of the things that's always stuck with me, I was in 10th grade at youth group, and my youth pastor at the time said, be a wanted poster in the post office of hell. If I ever had the privilege of having Satan himself coming after me, that would mean I've done some pretty awesome stuff for God. You will face opposition. You will. Christ doesn't ask that we be taken away from the opposition, but we would be protected in it. That was number two. Number three, our sanctification comes through God's truth. Our sanctification comes through God's truth. This is verses 16 through 19 in there. And he talks about this right in 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
So just in case you were confused as to what the truth was, Christ's like, your word is truth. And here's the dealio. Back then, they didn't have this. They had a little more than half of it if you, when you count the Old Testament. But they didn't have this. They didn't have Christ's words written down for them. They didn't have Paul's letters or John's letters or Peter's letters. They didn't have, or whoever wrote Hebrews. We don't know that. We, they didn't have that stuff yet. But they had truth still because the Old Testament was and is still truth. And God says, Christ is praying and goes, sanctify them. How? Through truth. If you don't know what the truth is, if you don't know what this says, how could you ever live it out? And if you're not living it out, you're not going to be sanctified to have truth. And this world will try to throw truth at you, or they'll try to say, well, truth is, is relative, which is an oxymoron because truth must be true at all times. Therefore, if it's true for me, it's got to be true all around. And I'm not talking about, it, it is true of me that I am slightly overweight. It is not true of Ian. Ian is not slightly overweight. I'm not talking about that type of truth. I'm talking about real truth. I'm talking about it is truth that Christ died and rose again and is the only way to heaven. That's not relative truth because I'm a Christian. That is truth because it is true. All truth comes from God. And it's written down, the truth that we need is written down here for sanctification. And Christ prays and he goes, sanctify them, grow them in your truth, by your truth. And then this isn't one of your points there, but I want to point it out. Christ talks about the fact that he's the one that sent us. Sent us. Just as, you know, it's a little, it's, a, it's a, uh, not a diagram. God's at the top, he sends Christ, and then Christ sent us. That's the, that's the thing. But God's, Christ is the one that sent us. Now, here's the thing. Now, let's look at verse 20. Let's dig into this. Number four there. He's talking about you. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, his, his 12 disciples. I do not ask on behalf of my 12 disciples alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, whether it be their spoken word to somebody, a la Peter, when he saves 3,000 plus people at Pentecost, or the millions of people that have been saved through reading this book, or through somebody else reading this book and presenting the gospel. It's still their words, which are Christ's words. Christ's words. He was talking about you. And that's so incredible. 2,000 years ago, he went, Father, don't take Sam Brush out of the world, but keep him from the evil one. Father, don't take Alvin Miller out of the world but keep him from the evil one. Now, he didn't go around and say every single person's name. He'd still be there. But he was thinking of you and me as he prayed this. We always know, right, and I've talked about it before, how incredible it is that on the cross, Christ thought of me and his, my sin was on his shoulders and he knew of me 2,000 years ago. In my mind, this is even more incredible because he was thinking about you. Now, my one professor in college would have hated this sermon because he was of the belief that every single sermon had to have a takeaway action. You had to give something for your congregation or the people you were speaking to to do in order for it to be a good sermon. I'm sorry, guys. This doesn't have that. Satan's going to come after you. Maybe not himself. But you will face this opposition. You will. And it's going to get discouraging, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to beat the snot out of you. 
But let me encourage you with this, that Christ knew it was going to happen 2,000 years ago for you. In the moment when I was discouraged, because on Tuesday morning, there was a hole in my tire, the second one in three weeks, different tire at least, Christ prayed for me 2,000 years ago for that moment. No, he didn't say, dear God, on March what 4th was, at around 10.30 a.m., 2019, Sam brushes, but he knew nonetheless, and he prayed for me. And whatever moment that you are facing, and trust me, you will face them. If you're not facing these moments, maybe you should reevaluate what you're doing. When you face those moments, take heart because Christ knew you were going to. Let alone now as he sits at the right hand of God interceding on your behalf. 2,000 years ago as a human on earth, about 33 years old, he prayed for you. And I kind of think that since he's the one that taught us to pray, he's the best prayer. Take heart in those moments. So yeah, no, 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 go, go the head this week and talk to three people or whatever. Nope, none of that. No homework. There's going to be times when I preach something that's not encouraging. There's going to be times when you face things that aren't encouraging. My prayer is that today is not one of those days and that today you took heart. Maybe you're facing something right now. It can be something uh, tangible like a flat tire or a washer that broke. Or it could be voices in your head that keep telling you you're not good enough. You'll never make it. Christ prayed for you. Not that you'd be taken away from this world, but that you would be kept from the evil one so that you could do his work in this world. Stop that. 